The United States has had troops in Syria, militarily occupying Syrian territory since 2014. And those U.S. troops happen to be in the area of Syria that produces the most oil and wheat. And a top U.S. government official has admitted that Washington's goal is to starve the central Syrian government of revenue so it cannot rebuild after a decade of war fueled by the U.S. devastated the country. Now, over the past few years, there have been several pieces of legislation introduced in the Congress to try to force the U.S. military to withdraw those troops from Syria, considering the fact that the U.S. has never officially declared war on Syria. And this December 2023, there was a vote in the U.S. Senate and only 13 members of the 100-member Senate voted to withdraw troops. 84 members, the vast majority, voted to maintain U.S. troops in Syria after nearly a decade. Now, I need to emphasize that the U.S. military presence in Syria is completely illegal according to international law. The sovereign Syrian government, which has a seat at the United Nations, internationally recognized, has repeatedly said that the U.S. troops are there illegally, they are occupying its land, and they need to leave. The media outlet Kurdistan24 published video footage back in 2019 that shows the U.S. troops with the U.S. flag and armored vehicles occupying the oil fields in Syria. This is like a centuries-old colonial occupation, and it continues happening today in the 21st century. And this U.S. military occupation is bipartisan. It was Barack Obama, a Democrat, who began the U.S. military occupation of Syria. It was continued by the Republican Donald Trump. And today, it's the Democrat Joe Biden who maintains this U.S. military occupation. Trump was very blunt about why he maintained U.S. troops in Syria. In a 2020 interview on Fox News... Trump boasted that he originally had thought of withdrawing U.S. troops from Syria, but instead he decided to keep those troops because, as he said, quote, I took the oil. The only troops I have are taking the oil. I took over the oil. Here is this clip of Trump being interviewed by Fox News host Lara Ingram in 2020. And then they say he left troops in Syria. You know what I did? I left troops to take the oil. I took the oil. The only troops I have are taking the oil. They're protecting the oil. I took well, over We're taking the oil. oil. We're not taking Well, oil. maybe we will. Maybe we won't. They're I protecting mean, we, the facility. I don't know. Maybe we should take it. But we have the oil right now. The United States has the oil. So they say he left troops in Syria. No, I got rid of all of them other than we're protecting the oil. We have the oil. So Trump was very honest about why the U.S. troops are there. And today, Joe Biden claims to be the foil to Trump, the opposite of Trump. And yet today, Biden is maintaining Trump's neo-colonial policy, a bipartisan policy of occupying Syrian sovereign territory, including the oil fields and many of the wheat fields. So this brings me to the vote in the U.S. Senate this December on a resolution that called to withdraw those U.S. troops from Syria. This was 
SJ Resolution 51 titled A Joint Resolution Directing the Removal of United States Armed Forces from Hostilities in Syria that Have Not Been Authorized by Congress. 84 members of the 100-member Senate voted against the resolution. Three members did not vote, and only 13 voted in support of the bill. I made a list of the 13 senators who voted to withdraw U.S. troops from Syria. Seven of them were Democrats. One of them was an independent, a left-wing independent who caucuses with the Democrats, Bernie Sanders. And then five of them were Republicans. So the seven Democrats who voted in support were Dick Durbin of Illinois, Ed Markey of Massachusetts, Jeff Merkley of Oregon, Chris Murphy of Connecticut, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, Peter Welch of Vermont, and Ryan Wyden of Oregon. And then the independent, Bernie Sanders from Vermont, also voted. So those are largely the so-called progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And then you had five Republicans, including Mike Braun from Indiana, Mike Lee of Utah, Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, J.D. Vance of Ohio, and then finally Rand Paul of Kentucky. Rand Paul is a libertarian-leaning Republican, and he is the one who actually introduced this resolution into the Senate. Now, briefly, I want to look at some of the language of this legislation because it has some very interesting and important facts. First of all, it discloses that the U.S. military has 900 troops in Syria, and it notes that Congress has not declared war against Syria. They are there illegally according to U.S. law, and they are there illegally according to international law. And this resolution points out that the U.S. has had troops forces in Syria since 2014, since September. So that is nearly a decade, nine years now. And this resolution reveals that the U.S. military forces in Syria have attacked numerous entities, not only including the Syrian armed forces and pro-Syrian government groups, but the U.S. troops there have also attacked Iranian forces, so-called Iran-backed militias, which often means Syrian and Iraqi indigenous forces. And also the U.S. troops there have attacked Russian forces as well. The resolution points out that since 2016, the U.S. military has targeted personnel, platforms, and facilities of the Syrian military or forces allied with the Syrian government on at least 11 occasions. I, I want to emphasize this point. Since 2016, the U.S. has attacked militarily Syria and its allies at least 11 times, and yet the U.S. has never declared war on Syria. I mean, th this is, again, completely outrageous. In 2018, the U.S. also killed, allegedly, hundreds of Russian citizens who were members of the Wagner Group. The resolution quotes former CIA director under Trump, Mike Pompeo, who in 2018, he boasted that the U.S. killed a couple hundred Russians. That's the language. He said the Russians met their match. Now, the resolution also says that in 2018, Trump ordered the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Syria. But as I showed earlier in the clip on Fox News, he actually later backtracked and Trump himself decided to keep those troops illegally occupying Syrian territory. 
because as he said, we took the oil. I have the oil. And then they say he left troops in Syria. You know what I did? I left troops to take the oil. I took the oil. The only troops I have are taking the oil. But it wasn't just Trump. This is bipartisan. U.S. President Biden, a Democrat, has also repeatedly attacked Syria. In 2021, he attacked Syria two different times. In 2022, he also ordered airstrikes in Syria. And this year, 2023, the Biden administration has carried out numerous attacks inside Syria and also inside Iraqi territory, which is being illegally occupied by the U.S. This is a very important point that I need to emphasize. Not only does the U.S. have 900 troops occupying Syria, but the U.S. also has 2,500 troops that are illegally occupying Iraq. And in fact, since the war broke out in Israel-Palestine in October, on the 7th of October, and Israel has been brutally bombing Gaza, Israel has also been bombing Lebanon, and Israel has bombed Syria, attacking airports and civilian infrastructure in Syria, and the U.S. has also been attacking Syria and Iraq because in response to this regional war, it's not just a, a brutal Israeli war on Gaza. It's also basically a regional war. And there have been dozens of attacks on the U.S. forces that are illegally occupying Syria and Iraq. And as of the 13th of November, the U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria had been attacked 52 times since October 17th, in just under one month. Now, I mentioned that the Syrian government has called for the U.S. troops to leave its country, and therefore they are there illegally. Well, the same thing is true of Iraq. In 2020, Donald Trump carried out an extreme act of war. He assassinated the top Iranian general, Qasem Soleimani, and he also assassinated a top Iraqi military leader, Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis, and in response to that, the Iraqi parliament in January 2020 voted to expel the U.S. troops. And in response, Trump said, no, our troops are staying occupying your country. And then Trump threatened to impose sanctions on Iraq because Iraq's democratically elected parliament voted to expel the U.S. military occupiers after Trump carried out an act of war against both Iraq and Iran. I'm reading here from an article in NPR, quote, Amid the fallout of the U.S. drone strike in Baghdad that killed an Iranian general, the Iraqi parliament voted to oust U.S. troops stationed in Iraq. President Trump threatened Iraq with sanctions. And I should add that they don't mention that it was also an Iraqi military leader who was killed in this act of war. And by the way, I should add, it wasn't just Trump who boasted that the U.S. is occupying Syria's oil. The Washington Post published an article by the neoconservative columnist Josh Rogan back in 2018 titled, In Syria, We Took the Oil, Now Trump Wants to Give It to Iran. This was from 2018 when Trump briefly claimed that he wanted to withdraw troops from Syria. And of course, Trump later backtracked on it. And it's probably because of this, you know, criticism from neoconservatives like Josh Rogan. And he wrote, quote, Perhaps Trump would back off of his urge to cut and run if he knew that the United States and its partners control almost all of the oil in Syria. 
And then he said, if the United States leaves, that oil will likely fall into the hands of Iran. That's completely ridiculous. I mean, Iran is one of the world's top 10 oil producers. Iran doesn't need Syria's oil. In reality, the U.S. is occupying Syria's oil to prevent the Syrian government, the star of the Syrian government, of revenue from that oil that it needs to rebuild the country. NPR admitted this in 2020 in an article titled U.S. Troops Aim to Keep Oil Fields from Syrian and Russian Forces. Russia is one of the world's top three oil producers. It's completely preposterous, the idea that Russia needs Syria's oil. But as NPR wrote, quote, U.S. forces in northeastern Syria have a relatively new mission, securing oil fields from Syrian government and Russian forces. Of course, the U.S. government is also one of the world's top three oil producers, so the U.S. doesn't need that Syrian oil, but it's occupying Syria's oil in order to fund separatist Kurdish forces in Syria that are basically U.S. puppets, U.S. proxies that are trying to destabilize the Syrian government, and also that are antagonistic to Iran and that support Israel. But also, the U.S. strategy was very clearly stated by a top government official, Dana Struhl. She is now in the, the Biden administration. She is the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Middle East. That means that she oversees U.S. Defense Department, U.S. military policy in Syria and Iraq and Israel and the, the broader region. And in 2019, Dana Struhl served as the co-chair of the Syria Study Group, which was a U.S. government-backed group that created a report that detailed U.S. strategy toward Syria. I wrote an article back in 2019 of very revealing comments that Dana Struhl made at a neoconservative think tank in Washington, D.C., and in this in these remarks, she boasted that the U.S. military, quote, owned one-third of Syrian territory, including its, quote, economic powerhouse. And then she outlined the U.S. strategy of trying to starve the government of revenue to prevent reconstruction of the rubble. She referred to the country as rubble. Here is this sadistic clip. The United States still had compelling forms of leverage on the table to shape an outcome that was more conducive and protective of U.S. interests. And we identified four. So the first one was the one-third of Syrian territory that was owned via the U.S. military with its local partner, the Syrian Democratic Forces. Now, this was a light footprint on the U.S. military, only about a 1,000 troops over the course of the Syria Study Group's report. And then the tens of thousands of, of forces, both Kurdish and Arab, under the Syrian Democratic Forces. And that one-third of Syria is the resource-rich, it's the economic powerhouse of Syria. So where the hydrocarbons are, which obviously is very much in the public debate here in Washington these days, as well as the agricultural powerhouse. But we argued that it wasn't just about this one third of Syrian territory that the U.S. military and our military presence owned, both to fight ISIS and also as leverage for affecting the, the overall political process for the broader Syrian conflict. There were three other areas of leverage. One is political and diplomatic isolation of the Assad regime. So holding the line on diplomatic isolation, preventing embassies from going back into Damascus. Two is the economic sanctions architecture. So some of this is part of the maximum pressure campaign of the Trump administration on Iran, but there's a whole suite of both executive and congressional sanctions on Syria and Bashar al-Assad, both for human rights abuses in Syria and to the backers of Assad for their activities on support in support of him in Syria. 
and three was reconstruction aid. So the United States remains the overall largest single donor of humanitarian aid to Syrians both inside Syria and refugees outside of Syria. And there was some stabilization assistance in the part of Syria that was liberated from ISIS and controlled via the Syrian Democratic Forces in northern eastern Syria. The rest of Syria, though, is, is rubble. And what the Russians want and what Assad wants is economic reconstruction. Um, and that is something that the United States can basically hold a card on via the international financial institutions and our cooperation with the Europeans. So we argued that absent behavioral changes by the Assad regime, we should hold the line on preventing reconstruction aid and technical expertise from going back into Syria. So that is the U.S. policy targeting Syria. It is a neo-colonial strategy and it's bipartisan. As we can see in this vote in the U.S. Senate, where only 13 members of the 100 member Senate voted to withdraw these U.S. troops after nearly a decade. And as I said, there are 900 U.S. troops in Syria. There are also 2,500 troops in Iraq. The U.S. illegally invaded Iraq in 2003. Those U.S. troops have been there for 20 years. And Obama claimed that he ended the war, but actually the war didn't end. Most troops were withdrawn, but still, the U.S. has had thousands of troops in Iraq and the U.S. has these troops in Syria. The U.S. has many troops across the region. This is a policy of neo-colonialism. And there are people who claim that the U.S. has withdrawn from the so-called Middle East or West Asia is a better term. But the U.S. has not withdrawn. The U.S. continues these neo-colonial policies in West Asia. And of course, it is currently supporting Israel in this brutal war on Gaza as it's carrying out ethnic cleansing and crimes against humanity. I report a lot on that, and you can find other reports at geopoliticaleconomy.com. I want to thank everyone for joining me today. I'm Ben Norton, the editor of Geopolitical Economy Report. Please like and subscribe to our channel. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video. If you prefer a podcast version, you can listen to a podcast version of every video. And if you like the work that we do here, please consider supporting us. You can go to geopoliticaleconomy.com slash support. The best way is you can go to patreon.com slash geopolitical economy and become a patron to help sustain our work. We are completely independent. We have no institutional support. We have no big donors. We rely entirely on small donations from viewers and listeners like you. So again, I want to thank you for joining me and I'll see you next time.